I said last week how blessed we are to have the worship team and staff that we have, and you know we're also blessed to have the team that we have in media and video who know how to make these kinds of videos, and you'll see all of these as the pre-service leading up to the Christmas Eve, and so invite, 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 invite. I had over 40 neighbors come last year to one service. It was one of the highlights of my life. I'm telling you, people will come to church on Christmas Eve if you just invite them, and a lot of these people are far away from God, and it may be their first step back toward a relationship with God. So take advantage of it. I'm going to ask you, if you can, try to avoid the last two services on Christmas Eve. Those are the services that our neighbors, they don't realize there's like six flags over Jesus around here, and you got to get tickets. But those are the services that people are probably going to come to. So let's try to get to some of the other services. If that's the only service you can get neighbors to, if that's the only service your family can attend when they're getting into town, certainly get tickets for those services. But let's be sensitive to that. And I think that God is going to move in an amazing way. There's not a year that goes by that I do not meet someone who said, my first experience at Hope Community Church 
was at a Christmas Eve service. Now let me tell you what God has been doing in my life. You want to be a part of that kind of story. So I'm excited about that. Now this is the third week of our series that we're basing on some of the lesser known stories in the life of David. We're calling it Life Lessons. And if you were here the first week, I mentioned that David is the only person in the Bible that it says he was a man after God's own heart. And it doesn't say it just once. It says it twice. It doesn't say it about anybody else. And I think that that was God's way of saying that David was more interested in the things of God than he was interested in things that had to do with himself. He was more interested in God's plan, God's will, than he was in his own plan and his own wills for his life. And my guess is that describes some of you this weekend. I mean, you are all in. You are sold out for God. Others of you, not so much. I mean, that's just not where you are right now in your relationship with God. It's not where you are on your spiritual journey. I mean, you read the Bible right? Uh, You come to church and hear messages. You hear about the laws and the principles of God. We talked about that last week. But when you hear these things or you read those things, you're like, this is so outdated. It is so unrealistic. I am so sure I'm going to do that. This stuff just just isn't for me. And it's because, I mean, you're just not that interested in the laws and the principles of God. But then there are some of you here this weekend You read the Bible, or maybe you hear me say something in a message about a law of God, and you're like, wow, wait a second, that's one of God's laws? That's one of God's principles? I didn't realize that. That doesn't describe my life. I need to bring my life into alignment with what God expects of me. Now understand, if that describes you, when you live your life that way, you're like David. You've become like David. You are a person that's after the heart of God. In fact, think of it this way. You are hot for God. What God wants, you decide, that's what I want. And to be honest, if that's the way you live your life, if that's your relationship with God, in today's culture we live in, you're rare. You're rare. So my goal this weekend is to see if we can actually just increase the number of Davids in our church. People who have hearts for God. People who are hot for God. And just so you know, when you get there, You're the ones that are going to make godly husbands. You're the ones that are going to make godly wives. You're the kind of person that's going to make a great roommate or a great employee, a great friend. It's the individual that when he or she hears God's law, hears God's truth, hears God's principles, immediately you think, how do I incorporate this into my life? How do I bring my life into alignment with these truths? And we're going to see a great example of that this weekend in a story from David's life. If you have your Bible, turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 6. If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. Obviously, we're going to put the verses up on the screen. Let me just bring you up to speed. If you've here, been here from week one, you know that David, as a teenage boy, was anointed to be the future king of Israel. And the reason he was anointed at such a young age to be the future king of Israel is because there was a king in Israel that God was not happy with. His name was Saul. Uh, God had had it, so God basically said to David, when the time is right, I'm going to remove Saul from the throne. You're going to take the throne of Israel. Saul found out about that. He was threatened by that. He decides he's going to kill David. And so David spends 14 years of his life running for his life, patiently waiting for God to remove Saul from the throne so that, as God promised, he can become the next king of Israel. Well, it finally happens when you get to 1 Samuel chapter 31. A war breaks out between these longtime enemies, the Philistines, and the people of Israel. And Saul leads these Hebrew people into battle, and it's a bad day. And Saul realizes it's a bad day. And it's not going the way he thought it was going to go. And he realizes in the battle, we're going to lose this battle. And he begins to worry about what's going to happen to me. Because he knew how much the Philistines hated him, hated the people of Israel. And he became concerned that if they caught him alive, wow, 
the torture, whatever might happen. So Saul decides that he's going to take his own life. He falls on his sword. And when he does so, that opens up the way for David to become the king of Israel, to take the throne just as God had promised. Now let me just say something to put into context what we're talking about this weekend. During the last few years of Saul's reign as the king of Israel, uh, the, the, the worship of God in the nation of Israel had suffered greatly because of Saul's failed leadership. And let me explain why I say that. During this time in Hebrew history, during this time of the Old Testament, this time of David and Saul, the central place of worship for the Jewish people was the tabernacle. And this goes all the way back to when the, when, when the people after 430 years, the Hebrew people under Moses came out of Egypt. They, they were no longer slaves. They had never worshiped God. And so they stopped at Mount Sinai and God gave Moses instructions for the tabernacle so that they would now have a place <clears throat> to worship him. And God gave very, very specific instructions because it was very, very important to God. Now, under Saul's reign, the tabernacle has fallen apart. Okay, it is scattered all over the place. Literally, there is no tabernacle, and that means absolutely nothing to us this weekend because we understand that when Jesus came, he ushered in a new covenant, and through what he did with his death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead to prove that he was the Savior who could take away the sins of the world, who could restore us back into a relationship with God, we know that we no longer actually have to go to a church building or a temple or a tabernacle to worship God, that God actually dwells in us. But you got to understand something. During this era of the Old Testament, if there was no tabernacle, there was no worship of God going on. So not having a tabernacle, that was a big deal. And so the tabernacle, this was so important to God, God gave Moses some very specific details about how to build the tabernacle. And again, it wasn't a very big thing. I mean, it had to be, it had to be portable because the Hebrew people were constantly on the move. So they had to be able to pack it up and move to wherever God led them to go. It was an outer court which was basically a boundary or a fence. Uh, it was 150 feet by about 75 feet. Inside of that boundary, there was a tent of meetings. It was 45 feet long, 15 feet wide, and inside of that tent, there was a veil, and behind that veil was this little inner sanctum part that was known as the Holy of Holies. Located in this Holy of Holies, no one could go into that area except once a year, the high priest of Israel could go into there on the Day of Atonement. Located inside of that veil, inside of the Holy of Holies, was a little chest that was known as the Ark of the Covenant, okay? It was the same Ark that Indiana Jones was looking for in the Raiders of the Lost Ark, not to be confused with Noah's Ark, okay? It was the Ark of the Covenant, right? Not big, 45 inches long, 27 inches wide, 27 inches deep, and there were three things that were kept in the Ark of the Covenant. You may or may not know that. One was a jar of manna, to remind the people of the faithfulness of God, how God miraculously fed them while they were in the desert. Second was Aaron's rod that budded. Great story, you can read about it in the book of Numbers. And then third, and that was to remind them of just God's power. And third, there were the two original tablets that contain the Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses to remind the people of what God's laws were, God's expectations of them were. So they're inside the Ark of the Cabinet of the covenant. And then on the top, there's this solid gold slab. It was referred to as the mercy seat. At each end of this solid gold slab, there were two angels, literally cherub, with their wings outstretched. And the Bible tells us that the glory of God, think of it this way, the presence of God rested right there on that place, which, which means this, everywhere the ark went, God was sure to go. 
In fact, this word ark in Hebrew literally means box. So understand, during this time in the Old Testament, during Hebrew history, the people literally worshiped God in a box. And we're going to see more about that next weekend. And this Ark of the Covenant, it was so important to God. God gave very specific instructions. He gave very specific details about how the Ark was to be transported from one place to the other. For example, there was a ring attached to each of the four corners. There were to be gold-plated poles that were to be slipped through the rings on each side. And then the Ark was to be carried on the shoulders of four Levitical priests. Very, very specific instructions, very, very specific details, and it was all very, very specific because you know what? Details matter to God, and every one of these details mattered to God. Now, that's where David got in trouble, the story we're looking at this weekend. Because as you've probably figured out by now, David was a type A personality. He was a king, he was a warrior, he was a leader, he was a decision maker, and by the time David made the decision that the ark needed to be in Jerusalem, it was on. Because the ark had not been in Jerusalem for 20 years, so he's just thinking, get it done, get it down to Jerusalem. He was like the original Larry the Cable Guy. I don't care how you get it there, you get her done. Get it to Jerusalem, right? The sooner the better. So let's pick up the story. That's what's going on, 2 Samuel chapter 6. David again, verse 1 brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all of his men went to Bala and Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. We just talked about that. They set the ark of God on a new cart, and they brought it to the house of Abinadab. So this is what David's thinking. I just need to get it to Jerusalem. And David's thinking, we're not going to bring God to Jerusalem in an old beat-up cart. We're going to build a new cart, nice cart. I mean, if you're going to bring God to Jerusalem, you're not going to bring him in a Prius, right? You're going to bring him in a Rolls Royce if you got an option, right? So David's thinking, we're not using an old cart. We're going to get a brand new cart. And then he gets a few guys that are looking for some side work, and he says, listen, I need you guys to get this cart down to Jerusalem ASAP. Now, let me just say something here in David's defense. I believe that David's heart, I believe that David's motives, I believe that David's intentions were 100% pure. I believe he really wanted to honor God. I think he wanted to do something significant for God, for the people of Israel. The problem is he didn't take the time to figure out what the procedures were to actually move the Ark of the Covenant. So these four, you know, these guys, they get the cart, they get the ark on the cart, they start moving it toward Jerusalem, and something happens. Verse 6, when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah, who's one of the guys that David hired to move the ark of the covenant, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. Now, that makes sense. If you're moving God in a box, okay, if you're moving the ark of God and it starts to fall, you're going to grab it, right? You need to stabilize it. The problem is... It would have never started falling if they had just moved the ark the right way to begin with. And what was the right way? Two gold plate poles, four rings, shoulders of four Levitical priests. And then they were able to balance the ark as they carried it from one place to another. David didn't do that. David took an easier route. David took a more convenient route. In other words, he changed the details to meet the expediency of the situation. And it blew up in his face. He ignored the details. By the way, isn't it interesting how we really, really pay close attention to details in our lives? 
Like even in our relationships when we're kind of on the outs. You ever irritated your spouse? I have. Several times a day. And when I do that, and I know I'm on the outs, you know what? I, 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 one of my top three gifts, now discover your strengths, harmony. I will do anything to get back in good. Empty the dishwasher, I'll empty it. Put dishes in it, I'll put dishes in it. Take the trash, whatever you want, dear. Buy your new dress as long as you don't cry. I mean, I, I am going to pay attention to every little detail because I'm on the outs, and I want to be back in her good graces. Right? We also do that in our relationship with God. I cannot tell you how many times people have gotten themselves into a mess and they are so sorry, usually more sorry that they got caught, more sorry that they're experiencing the consequences of their decision than they actually disobeyed God. But I got to tell you what, they're willing to jump through any kind of hoop, pay attention to any kind of detail to get back on God's good side. And I thought about this as I was working through this message and I wonder, is this part of the reason that America is in the mess it's in. Because as Christians, this is on us people, we're the light of the world, we're the salt. As Christians, we have quit paying attention to details. The little things of God. Did you know the average committed Christian in America? Only 18%. 18% of people say, I am a committed follower of Jesus Christ. Do you know of the 18% that are committed followers of Jesus Christ, do you know how many weekends they show up in church? three out of eight, less than 50% of the time. And so you look at the news, you listen to the news, and people are always talking about young people's suicide rate up, young people overdoses from all the opioids, uh, like, like going through the roof. What's going on with our young people? I'm telling you what's going on with our young people. As Christians, we've quit paying attention to the details of God. And we've gotten to this attitude, God knows my heart. God knows my intentions. You're going to see this weekend, you know what God really cares about? God cares about obedience to the details, even the smallest details. So we can keep it on our coins all we want to, in God we trust. I'm telling you right now, we are not a nation that trusts in God. We are a nation that's doing whatever we want to do. Now, let's just get back to the story. That was all free. But anyway... David is standing beside this corpse of Uzzah, right? And it says in verse 8, David was angry. You ever get angry because God's not blessing you? David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. But not only is he angry, guess what? He's a little spooked. He's freaking out. He is afraid of the ark. In fact, as a result of Uzzah's death, 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 9, David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me now, now, let's push pause right here for a second. Because I know I got our minds all over the place, right? What's, what's the real issue here? What's the real problem here? Because some of you that are maybe just check, checking out religion, Christianity, just popping into church, right? You're thinking, you know what the problem is? God's mean. God's unrealistic. God's a bully. I mean, he would just kill somebody for making an honest mistake. That's not the problem. You know what the problem is in this story? The problem is David didn't do his homework. The problem is David didn't do the research. And I'm telling you, in the same way when it comes to our relationship with God, we often get into trouble as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, because we don't do our homework. We don't do our research. 
We're not really sure what the principles, the laws, the truths of God are. For example, we decide that something is God's will. It's God's plan for our lives. And what do we do? We take off full steam ahead in that direction. We just want to be obedient. And then sometimes out of convenience, sometimes out of expediency, because things aren't moving along as rapidly as we thought they would move along in this pursuit of obedience to God, or things aren't falling into place the way we thought they would be falling into place. When we made this decision to commit to being obedient to God, we start cutting corners. A little bit here, a little bit there. We start making rash decisions, and we, we don't take the time to run those decisions through the grid that we talked about last weekend. Does it violate one of the laws of God? Does it violate one of the principles of God? In light of my future, is it the wise thing to do? And I'm telling you, as Christians, listen to me, until we do that, you can forget things working out in our lives the way we want them to work out. In fact, can I tell you something as your pastor? For someone who's been a Christian for almost 60 years you know what i've learned the hard way when you don't do life god's way god instead of blessing us has this unique ability to make our lives absolutely miserable until we decide we want to do it his way and that's where we find david in this story I mean, this is the big day. This is supposed to be the day of all days. God in a box, right? It's finally being brought home where he belongs in Jerusalem. That's not what's happening. Now he's standing beside the dead corpse of Uzzah, and the mood has changed drastically. And I know what some of you are thinking, because anytime we look at the Old Testament, people think like this. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get this whole God thing. Who cares how you move the ark as long as the ark gets moved, right? Right? Because we're get it done kind of people. Well, I'll tell you who cares. Evidently, God does. I mean, if he didn't care, he wouldn't have laid out very specific instructions written down in the Bible about how the ark was supposed to be moved. And you got to understand, that's the point of the story. That's the point of the story. When we begin to care about the things that God cares about, I'm telling you, then we are on our way to experiencing real freedom. When we begin to care about the things that God cares about, even the smallest details, we are on our ways as followers of Jesus Christ to experiencing the abundant life that Jesus talked about in John chapter 10. But see, that's not David here. Instead of freedom, David's, he, he's, he's afraid. Instead of freedom, well, he's in bondage. He's a mess. And it says in verse 10, he was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it aside to the house, one of the great names in the Bible, the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. I would like to have one child named Obed-Edom, and his nickname would be the Gittite. I mean, that's just a great name right there. So look what happens. Verse 11, he's having the time of his life, right? Three months, no ark in Jerusalem. But Obed-Edom, the Gittite, life is good. Look what it says, verse 11. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. I mean, the water coming out of his creek was like Fiji water. Corns growing over the roof of the house. Cattle and sheep multiplying like rabbits, right? But notice the change in David when you get to 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 2, verse 2, 12. 
Now King David was told, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went to bring up the ark. Wait a second. From the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David, look at this, with rejoicing. Now you read that and you think, wait a second, Mike. What, what did I miss? Did I, did I doze off somewhere? Some of you did, by the way. Some of you did doze off which does not bother me, but when you drool. When you drool, that bothers me a little bit, okay? What happened here? Earlier, David wanted nothing to do with the ark. I mean, in verse 10, two verses earlier, he was freaking out because of the ark. And now he's celebrating as the ark makes its way home. What happened? What changed in the story? Well, if you go to 1 Chronicles chapter 15, it's what's known as a parallel passage. For example, if you look at the Gospels, Matthew gives the Gospel or the story of Jesus from his perspective. Mark gives the story of Jesus from his perspective. Luke gives the story from his perspective. John gives the story of the life of Jesus from his perspective. They're the Gospels, the same story, different perspectives. So when you go to 1 Chronicles 15, you get a different perspective of the same story and it fills in some of the gaps behind the scenes. So look at verse 11, 1 Chronicles 15. Then David summoned Zadok and Abiathar the priest. What's going on? Evidently, David got some new information from somewhere. Maybe David ran into a priest and he said, hey David, I'll tell you why the Uzzah died you know, up at Obed-Edom's place because you didn't follow the directions. These are the directions. Or maybe one of David's friends you know, kind of pulled him aside and had the guts to have a come to Jesus meeting with him. You know. He said, David, I don't know if you know it or not, but God actually gave some very specific instructions about how the ark was supposed to be moved from place to place. And so David, who's a man after God's own heart, who's hot, hot for God, when he hears this, he's like, really? How come no one told me? Why didn't somebody tell me what the instructions are? And the guy said, yeah. I mean, if you want to move the ark of God, there's four rings, two gold metal poles carried on the, 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 the shoulders of a Levite priest. And David, if you'll just do it God's way, the way he said, pay attention to the details, Follow the instructions, you're home free. So David summons the priest in 1 Chronicles 15, verse 12. He said to them, you are the head of the Levitical families. You and your fellow Levites are to consecrate yourselves. Bring up the ark of, ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to the place I have prepared for it. Now look at this. It was because you, the Levites, did not bring it up the first time that the Lord our God broke out in anger against us. Look at this sentence. We did not inquire him, of him how to do it in the prescribed way. And that's the, key. that's the key. In other words, the first time that David tried to move the ark, he didn't inquire how it should be done. He didn't do his research. He didn't do his homework. He didn't understand what the laws and the principles were as they related to moving the ark of God. He just wanted to get the job done, and it blew up in his face. And he got burned. And how many of us could stand up, grab a microphone, and share our story about the time that we felt God had called us to do something, or we wanted to do something for God, and we took matters into our own hands, and we got burned? I mean, your story may sound something like this. I know, I know he wasn't a Christian. I knew that. But I thought I could fix him when I married him. But it didn't work out. 
because you didn't obey God's law. You didn't obey God's principle. Or here's another one. You might say, I thought that, you know, I, I, sh- I, I could go into this business with guy. I, I knew I shouldn't have gone into business with him. He's not a Christian, you know. And I knew that we had different principles. Uh, we had different priorities. We had different values that we lived our life by. But you know what? He had the capital. And he had the years of experience. And I thought maybe in this situation, God would cut me some slacks since God's a God of love and God's a grace. A lot of God, he's a God of grace or he's a God of mercy. Right, right. We hear that all the time. But how did that work out for you? See? Or here's another one. You know what? I knew it wasn't right to have an affair because I thought God would just give us a pass. I mean, he knows our hearts. He, he knows how much we're so in love, right? David says, man, I got burned. Because I, I just didn't do it God's way. And see, some of you listen to a story like this, like, like I still don't get it. I still don't get what the big deal is about a story that has to do with, with poles and rings and priests and shoulders. Let me tell you what the big deal is. The big deal is our life. Because if you're like me, see, it, 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 it's the details and it's the obeying of those details, sometimes very small, minute details in God's word that drive us crazy. So we either don't want to go through the trouble of getting the poles because we can't remember where we left the poles, right? Or or, or we don't want to carry the poles on our shoulder. First of all, it's heavy, and it's going to hurt after a while. Plus, I just got my shirt back from the dry cleaners, and it's pressed. And if I put these poles up there, it's just going to wrinkle my shirt. You know, it just makes more sense to put it on a cart. It just makes more sense to put it in the back of my F-150. Let's move the ark in my F-150. And I meet people every week. I deal with people every week that think that way. I mean, we'll sit down and we'll be talking about, and I'll say, but you got to understand, you do know what God's word says about this, don't you? And I'll show them from God's word what it says. And you know what they'll say? You know what, Mike? I, I, I get maybe that made sense a thousand years ago or 5,000 years ago. But Mike, that just doesn't make sense in the culture we live in now. I mean, save yourself for marriage, really? Maybe that was okay 5,000 years ago. Who does that today? I mean, Mike, you wouldn't even buy a car without taking it for a test drive. Times change. God has to change. God's got to keep up with the times. No, he doesn't. But here's one I hear more than any other one. I know what the Bible says. But God knows my heart. God knows my intentions. I don't think he cares that much about the details. He cares about my heart. I got news for you. If God cared enough to write it down and preserve it, he cares enough to have us obey it, see? And David has learned that lesson in this story the hard way because on the second attempt, I'm telling you, when David decides he's going to move the ark, he follows God's instructions to a T, and he's very, very careful because he's learned you don't fool around with something that God is very, very specific about. And because he's a man after God's own heart, because he's heart for God, see, he, now, he, he cares about the things that God cares about. And once he realizes what God expects, David's like, that's exactly what I'm going to do. And so finally, they get, to the ark, they get the ark to Jerusalem, and look at what David is doing in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 14. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sounds of trumpets. Now let me ask you a question. Why was he so excited? It's because, see, they learn a principle that we all need to learn. Every one of us, including me, we all need to learn this principle when it comes to our relationship with God. Here's the life lesson for the week. 
Obedience leads to freedom, but disobedience leads to bondage. Obedience to God leads to freedom, but disobeying God leads to bondage. Let me tell you something. You will never find freedom by being disobedient. You will never find happiness by being disobedient. And some of you here, you know firsthand what I'm talking about because that's where you are this weekend. So you thought you would be free by ignoring God's way, by ignoring his laws, his truths, his principles, and by doing life your way. You thought doing it your way would make you happy. And just like all of us, you had some friends that convinced you that the details really don't matter that much to God. He's really more interested in your heart. Trust me, the details matter. And that's why God puts our obedience to the test with little details like poles and rings and priests and shoulders. So let me just leave you with a couple of thoughts that I get from this story. Here's the first one. The more obedient we are in our relationship with God, the freer we will be. The more we pay attention to the small details and knowing those small details and obey those small details, the freer we will be in our relationship with God. In other words, when we take the time to discover exactly what God expects from us, and you can only discover that by getting into his word and knowing his laws, his principles, his precepts and truths. When we do that and we obey those laws and principles and precepts, in other words, we bring our life into alignment with those truths, then we will be free. But see, we have to get to the place where we're willing to say, if it's important to God, you know what? It's important to me. In other words, if God took the time to write it down in this book, it should be as important to me as it is to him. Because see, when he wrote it down, it became truth. And what did Jesus say about truth in John chapter 8, verse 32? Then you'll know the truth, and what will the truth do? The truth will set you free. So the more obedient we are in our relationship with God, the freer we will be. Second, the freer you are in your relationship with God, the more confident you will become. Because I'm telling you, when you know where you stand with God, when you know what the boundaries are, there is incredible security. Listen, if you're a parent, it's just like with your children. We know it. There is security. There's amazing security for our children when there are boundaries. But yet some of you here this weekend, you've walked away from the security of God's boundaries because you thought that by disobeying God, that's how you were going to find freedom. That's how you were going to find happiness. But what you discovered in the process is that you're in the worst kind of bondage you could possibly imagine. And you kind of come to church and you look around at everybody else with this attitude, like, you know, my life sucks, I never get a break, everybody else gets all the breaks. No, that's not the way it works. It's just the fact that God has a way of blessing those people whose hearts are hot for him. God just has a way of honoring people who honor his word. I talk about the circle of blessability. Think of the circle with God's truths, his principles, his precepts, all from his word. And when we live within that circle by obeying them, we've positioned ourselves to be blessed. But when we move outside the circle, when we color outside the lines, sometimes that's a tough place to live. There's something about truly seeking the heart of God. There's something about paying attention to the details, God just has a way of blessing people and making them exceedingly happy. Now, I want to close by saying this as lovingly as I can because I know you guys know at the end of the day how much I love you. This is a no-judgment zone. 
But some of you listening to me, if you're honest with yourself, you're paying a high price for your mentality that says, I know what God's word says, but, but I'm going to do my own thing. I know what the Bible says, but I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it my way. You're paying a high price in your relationships. You've gone through a marriage or two or three or four. And you've left a lot of wreckage in your wake. And you busted up a child or two, blown up a career or two. But this is what I want you to hear this weekend. I don't care what you've done. I don't really care what you've been, where you've been. God is still head over heels in love with you. And he loves you more than you could ever comprehend. And he's just waiting. I'm telling you, he's just waiting. He's just in there. He's just waiting for you to make that 180 degree pivot back toward him. Just to decide, I am going to do life God's way. And I'm telling you, when you do that, he will smile. And he will welcome you back with open arms. And he'll say, good to have you back. Now let's get you cleaned up. Let's move forward. That's the God we serve. He cares about the details, but he's an incredible God of mercy. Let's bow together. Maybe you're here this weekend and you have kind of made a mess of your life. In fact, you just went through a Thanksgiving season where you thought, man, I, I don't have anything to really be thankful for this year. And your life just seems to have unraveled and you're not really, really sure how it happened. I mean, you can remember when you began your relationship with God and you remember when you were found by God and you were forgiven by God and you remember that sense of being, being loved by God. But somehow in the, the prosperity of God's love, you, you strayed. And maybe you're not even sure how it happened. Maybe it was a slow process. Maybe, maybe it was just a detail. Just a short, small detail at a time. But there was a time where you were right in step with God and now you've, you've strayed and you don't even know how you got there. Here's the cool news. You are only one conversation with God. From being reestablished into a fear-free, abundant life that Jesus Christ died to make possible. You're just one conversation. All you had to do is say, God... I was wrong. I ask your forgiveness. I want to do it your way. It's called repentance. Repentance. It means I was going one way and I made the decision to do a 180 and God head back toward, to you and do life your way. And when you do that, I'm telling you, he'll dust you off. He'll love you. And he'll take you forward. Father, I thank you for the fact that you are a God of mercy. I thank you what Jeremiah wrote in the book of Lamentation, that your mercies are renewed every morning. And that your faithfulness is great. Father, we all stray. Even David, a man after God's own heart, he strayed. He's straight. 
But God, some of the greatest psalms he wrote was when he was restored back into a relationship with you. And he said, wash me. Wash me. Make me clean. I'll be whiter than snow. And God, you only do that because of your mercy. And so God, for those who are sitting here and they're like, I have nothing to be thankful for this year. May they find gratitude and thankfulness for the fact that they follow a God who so desperately wants to be in a relationship with him and so desperately wants them to be home with him. And Father, I pray that if that's where people are, that they'll make that decision before they leave whatever campus they're at this weekend. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message. We are so excited to be a small part of all the great things that God is doing in and through your life. If you would like to take the next step in your spiritual journey, download the Hope app to find out ways to connect, opportunities to serve, and other resources. And if you'd like to contribute financially to our vision of reaching the triangle and changing the world, visit us at gethope.net slash giving. Thank you for your commitment to resourcing hope as we love people where they are and encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus. 